As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Today's episode of Laz and Powers is brought to you by GameTime. Okay, folks, time for a little pop quiz. Do you think Blackhawks tickets are cheaper three weeks or three hours before the game? You can find the answer with GameTime, the ticket-buying app that proves patience is more than just a virtue. It can save you some serious cash. Game Time is the leader in last-minute tickets. Pick your deal, see the view from where you're sitting, and buy in two taps. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the Game Time app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. So download Game Time in the App Store or Google Play, work that clock to your advantage, and score last-minute tickets. It's not about me. I'm only here for a minute. And I know that I can't fix it I can help even just a little bit Won't you let me try Hello and welcome to the latest edition of Laz and Powers. We're on the uh, open internet now, not hiding behind the paywall. So uh, to our first-time listeners, welcome. I'm Mark Lazarus of The Athletic, and with me as always is... Scott Powers. Hello. Also Mark. of The Athletic. How about that? <laughs> It's uh, it's good to be back in the uh, back in the states. We were gone for uh, what eight nine days in in Berlin and Prague, and um, it's great. Yeah, so <laughs> we got a little note from Scott Burnside today saying that it's basically covered one game that really mattered, and that's that's the truth. It, it felt like such a build up, and then uh, it's one game, and now we get to become like NFL writers and we get to talk about one game for an entire week. Um, so I think our next two podcasts uh, will occur before an actual game happens again. So, well, uh, what, what what do you think we should talk about now that the season is clearly over? The Blackhawks having lost the season opener, uh, there is no hope now. All all hope has lost. Uh, the season is a complete wash. And what are we going to talk about for the next six or seven months? You think? Well, it's funny because there are teams that are I'm sure fan bases that are feeling this at varying degrees right now. Where the, I mean, the Stars are zero and three, uh, and I saw Sean Shapiro sort of write that. Well, the season's not over, but there's some problems and. Uh, so I guess in relationship to where some other teams stand right now, um, own one's not too bad. These Blackhawks just have to wait, wait a bit for uh, wait for that second game to occur. And I, I you know, the, the first game, and I and I thought your column was was dead on, and, and we certainly talked about it, uh, who was going to write it. But we both sort of had the same idea that um, it, it's one game, and and they're certainly missing two two defensemen that should be key to what they do. And um, it's overseas, and it's it's all this, but. That game felt a lot like games that we saw last season, where um, 
you know, there's some offensive capability there. You know, they're coming back, but you know, they're giving them a lot of chances, and um, and it's not a whole 60 minute effort that's uh, you know that puts them puts them behind. It, it's a period here, a period there. Uh, too many consecutive shifts where just consistently defensively they they were struggling, and and I know a lot. Uh, Call it incorrect, you know, kind of said a lot of it had to do with just um, poor puck management and 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 some of that, but it, it just it gets so lopsided so quickly in some phases. Yeah, it's a fine line for us to walk because yeah, we 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 see that and we go, oh my god, this is another another period where they disappear and just spend the entire time on their heels. They're giving the puck away. They're giving up odd man rushes. They're getting killed in transition when they're supposed to be the great transition team. Um, but at the same time, you bought you and I both can see the big picture here, where it's game one at eighty two, and every team lays an egg every now and then. But and, and I don't know if you know if it qualifies as an A because you know you hear afterwards Patrick Kane saying no I like the way we fought we didn't give up we could have easily folded and yeah that's true but that shouldn't be the case in game one you shouldn't be getting moral victories in game one of an 82 game season in which you have legitimate playoff aspirations so yes it's alarming the schedule does them no favors and that like you said it's like nine ten days where they play one game we're gonna have a podcast on Thursday they won't even have played their second game yet so. Uh, it, it just it's it's it is like a football season. If you're the Bears right now, imagine being the Bears right now. You went all the way to London, you lost a terrible game, just played awful for most of it, almost came back and still lost. And now you have the bye week, so they got two weeks to sit on it and stew on it, uh, and hope that guys come back from injury. That's exactly where the Blackhawks are in hockey terms. They got all this time off. Calvin DeHaan probably could have played against Philadelphia, but their thought was, you know what, we got five days off after this game. Let's just wait till that one. So you, it's a similar boat where it's tough to have perspective because it's so frustrating and you're sitting on it for so long. But you kind of have to have perspective because it is just one game. If this you had a game like that in the middle of January, who cares, right? I, you know, so what you said about that Kane's quote, I think he was actually asked, like, is there a positive to this? And I don't think he felt great about it, but he sort of looked for a positive and said we fought back. So I, you know, I sitting there listening to him talk when he did an interview, I actually thought he was disappointed with how they played and just... Uh, you know, the, he felt like early on, you know, early the, the, that even that top line was really good early on, you know. Uh, Nylander and Kane, you know, Nylander scores one, Kane probably has a chance for a goal or two, and that line's rolling, and then the rest of the game, it, it disappears. Oh, they got uh, swamped. If you look at their possession numbers, it was the worst line in the team by a long shot. And and that's, and that's probably the part that's got to be a little frightening for the Blackhawks, is that your top line uh, got killed, and then also your top pairing, and, and Keith and Gustafson were just being drowned, so... Uh, yeah, there there are definitely things that uh, you know you, you don't want to make too much out of one game, and you look around the league and, and you see some of this here and there. You, I mean, Yoki Haru, like his first two games, he's got like a sixty Corsi percentage. You, <laughs> you just you don't want to read too much in these things, and I, I don't think it's fair. But um, I, I'm sure that's not what the Blackhawks or Jeremy Colleton wanted to see in the first game, and just uh, just to be a little bit more crisp. And you know, you spend all this time and focus on systems and and doing things differently than last year and they come out like that. So I, I'm curious to see what these next few practices look like uh, beginning today and then certainly what that game looks like. And then, uh, you know, they'll be able to get in a rhythm and we'll, we'll start to see, you know, we'll be able to start to put together some more, um, I guess, just, you know, more complete thoughts on what this team is and what it can be. But, yeah, it, it wasn't the way they want, they want to start. And um, and even Crawford, too, you know, I, you know, he, he made some saves that he was supposed to, but he, but he probably wanted a few back, too, so... I'm curious how they start, you know, dividing up those starts because I'm sure Leonard, you know, they want to get Leonard here in the net soon and what they play Thursday and then, uh, what, Sunday again? 
Um, so yeah, a lot of things were kind of shaking up. But even I'm, I'm curious with the lines too, whether he he liked what he got from all those lines, and you know he went back to Kajula on that top line uh, as that game ended, and even gave Saad a shift or two on the top line. So um, Nylander makes the most sense if you're looking for an individual to put on the line, but whether it makes most sense for the team, I guess we'll see. I'll tell you, I am so tired of talking about Jeremy Colleton's system and needing to implement and having a full training camp. But then I look on the other side, and he still hasn't had a full training camp. They lost one-third of their training camp to this trip. And, you know, their practices, we were at their practices in Europe. They weren't normal practices. The first one, they had an off day for travel. They landed, and they just basically played shinny for 20 minutes to get their legs loose on that first day back. They didn't have a morning skate in Berlin, which they've been using as practice time because the Berlin Marathon was going on. And they had another travel day to get to Prague. Then they had an off day in Prague. And then you had an open practice with a skills competition against the Flyers and Gritty and Tommy Hawker on the ice. I mean, they missed a ton of practice time. Because of this trip, it, it kind of threw everything out of whack. So desperate as I am to get rid of this, you know, it's time, you know, the, the system better be in by now. Maybe they do need this week. They do get a few more practices this week. They're probably going to practice Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, which is unusual to practice three straight days. But this is a weird schedule. But, you know, if, if they don't have this thing down in a week or two, if we're still talking about the system and guys being out of position, then then it's going to get pretty bad pretty quickly. And part of it is, I mean... The- Ultimately, the the problem with this team last season was its, its defense, and and, and they uh, they felt like they addressed that with with Dehan and and, and Olimata, and uh, you're missing Dehan and Murphy, you know, two guys that are um, you know probably are your second pairing guys. Um, so I'm willing to kind of give that an overlook too. You know, the fact that you've had yet to have six defensemen. Gilbert, you know, gives up a pass that that's right to uh, right to Flyers that leads to goal. A puck bounces off of. Uh, Cuckoo, you know, not really his fault, just wrong place, wrong time, but still it's off him. Um, you know, it, it, some of those mistakes that occurred in the game happen to guys that probably won't be on the ice. Um, you know, on the one hand, I guess we'll see what that all see, you know, what what, what the black looks, look, look like when you get all those guys on the ice. But also, um, there's a question about their depth too, right? Can they, can if there's an injury or two, can they, can they get through that? And that's also why trading Yoki Haru made, uh, I think we question it too, because, I, I when I looked at this team, I didn't see a need for an offensive score, especially uh, you know you're still probably hoping Secure and Sorella and those guys. Some of those guys uh, produce, um, and you certainly have Perlini who's sitting on the bench. You can probably score 20 goals if you gave him the chance. And then you traded someone Yokiharu, who would have been in your lineup in the an open and probably could have helped you. He's he's also a guy who can skate, and you don't have a lot of those throughout your lineup defensively. So I, I think that's where some of the questions come in and. Um, but I, I'm curious to see what they look like. I'm curious to see what the PK looks like with Dehan and um, you know, and what 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 that pairing can be as a shutdown pairing. Where last year I thought you know Dalson Murphy did a did a fine job, but um, it certainly wasn't the level of Jarmelson and you know Oduya. So um, I'm curious to see what those guys look like. And you know, I would think the fact that Gilbert went down that they feel like those guys are close and at least one of them. And and you know, I think we'll see Dehan and Murphy. I would think on Thursday. Yeah, I mean, th- there's an argument to be made that Dahan might be the most reliable defenseman on this team. Duncan Keith, you know, is still is still an offensive uh, genius out there, but he's not the player he once was. He doesn't. He's lost a little bit of the wheels. Uh, and Murphy has been the most reliable guy for the last two years. So that is an important pairing. If that's probably the pairing that's going to get the shutdown assignments. So it is. We can't really evaluate this team in full until we see them together. So yeah, again, we all have to have this perspective. But you, you just man, you watch that game and it was instantly like, oh, here we go again, which is not <laughs> the feeling you want to have after you know. Look, they haven't they haven't won a playoff series in four years. 
Like, you know, we are long past the quote-unquote dynasty era here. They lost in the first round. They lost. They got swept in the first round. They missed the playoffs, and they missed the playoffs. It's time to get this shit together. And, you know, every point counts. These 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 points in, December, in October count just as much as the points in March do. Yeah, no, and, and the schedule's set up, you know. It's... Schedule set up for them to succeed, so we'll we'll see what happens. You know, it's it's uh, they have so many home games, and um, I, I think for all of us, I'm I'm you know I'm ready to get to watch some watch some hockey from normal's vantage points, normal building. Seriously, the, the building in uh, in Prague was just warm. We were sweating, which was strange. <laughs> and, uh, and then you play, you know, Ice Baron, and and that was a cool atmosphere, but it, it's different too, and. Uh, and like you said, they lost practice time. So I, I'm sure, you know, them, us, all of us, we just want to get the uh, some normalcy in the season. And Yeah, no, the um, trip was the trip was fun as hell, but it's time to get back to just a regular hockey season here. Yeah, and, and today was, you know, I, the piece that we ran today, our travel diary, and I, and I saw some people, uh, you know, remarking about your uh, your thoughts on the Holocaust and then being in Germany. And uh, we, we certainly took, I, full, I think, full advantage of being out there and, and doing a lot of things. Uh, I, we certainly wrote a lot, and hopefully a lot of people enjoyed the coverage, but also getting a chance to see a lot of things. And I'm, I'm sure some of the, the, there'll be memories from this trip for uh, for this team. But uh, from from an on-ice perspective and uh, maybe a team bonding perspective, um, I'm sure the team bonding, maybe there's something that happens there. But from an on-ice perspective, I'm not sure that there's a whole lot to gain from this trip. And um, you know, ideally, I'm sure Colleton would have loved just uh, to have an entire month uh, of practicing back home. It really didn't sound like they did anything. Like, they didn't really go sightseeing much. They didn't really go experience. Or they they kind of hung around the hotel and chilled out and probably played video games. Uh, it didn't sound like a lot of them went. Like, you know, uh, David Camp went back and visited his family and, and stuff like that. But the, uh, the, the North American guys, I don't think they really did a whole lot of, uh, of fun on this trip. It was just, it was, a, it was a long working business trip for them. Yeah, now, uh, yeah, I mean, now we're now we're back and uh, excited to yeah get get this going again. I know we uh, we were talking about do maybe trying to uh, implement some uh, different uh, features to our Segment. podcast, yeah. and you had your first idea. Yeah, let's do a let's do a best case worst case scenario for kind of the things that I think the season might hinge on in a lot of ways. Uh, let's start with Alex Nylander, who you and I have been talking about a lot. I think both of us are a little wary about his overall game. What what do you, what do you see as the best case scenario for Alex Nylander this year? Well, the best case is he keeps on getting comfortable, and and you know I thought what was interesting was when I asked Kane about Nylander after the opener, he said that you know I hadn't he hadn't really given him too much information as the way he phrased it. Um, you know he likes to talk a lot with his line mates and and, and talk about where they're uh, you know where they're creating spaces where they can create you know more more space and opportunities and that sort of thing. And I know he did a lot with Panarin, and um, I'm sure him and Taves talk and. Um, you know, I know that him and Stroman Debrink had even talked a lot this offseason about it as they went to Belfry's camp and spent a lot of time working with Brian Keane, too. So I think Kane is looking to open up that conversation, that dialogue a little bit more. So I wonder if if they get a little bit more on the same page. And, um, you know, and it's about consistency for Nylander. He, he certainly has the high end, and, and you saw that with the, the move that he made to score that goal and just dragging it a little bit in space and changing the angle and, um, the goalie never saw it, and, and I think we've seen that a few times throughout the preseason where uh, he, he pulls off those moves where, where you know he's an elite talent, but uh, then he disappears. And so, I, you know, I think if he's uh, he's appearing more than he just, than he's disappearing, they, um, you know, they probably have a 20-plus goal scorer and a guy that can, they can really spark that offense. But you also need that top line to be a possession line, and, um, you know, uh, it, it, it wasn't that a lot last year, and 
um, they were able to get by just because uh, maybe some other lines assisted in that. But I, you know, that top line has to be around 50, 50 plus Corsi and um, has to be outscoring teams. So, um, yeah, and it really does. You know, it's weird to go to a, you know start moving and shaking guys up, and you're moving a guy from the top line to the fourth line, and it, it just it's not that ordinary. So I don't think that's the ideal case for him, where you, you have a top line um, that you keep together and you can play whether you're down or or, or up or whatever. So I, I think best case is uh, yeah, he he certainly gets better as time goes on, becomes more consistent, and then you you got a twenty plus goal scorer, you know, fifty point guy. I think the the worst case scenario would be easier to say is that he spends the year in Rockford, but I think the real worst case scenario is they, they the Blackhawks keep trying to make fetch happen, like where they just won't acknowledge if he's not ready for that role yet and keep forcing a square peg into a round hole. Uh, it, it, it would be – they have to acknowledge if he's not the guy, and we don't know if he's got – like you said, that goal he scored was fantastic. It was beautiful. Like that is high-end NHL skill. But But in the same game, he got demoted to the fourth line. That's concerning. So if they don't think he's ready, they need to move on from him and, 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 and bide their time with him. Worst case scenario is he's up here all year, not really contributing and kind of taking a spot from, like you said, a Brendan Perlini or, maybe, or an Alexei Sorella, maybe someone else who can do more with that line. And meanwhile, in Buffalo, Henry Yokihari is a Norris finalist. I think that's the worst. And, and there are guys in Rockford, you know, like you said, Sorella too. And I, I know Sakura scored a goal in, in his first game. And, and those guys are building... Uh, you know, you know, secure the offense wasn't there, but you know, was a possession player last year and certainly changed his game defensively. If those guys are producing at the American League level, then uh, I think at some point too. I mean, it's so early to make it all these these predictions, but oh, of course, at some point. It, but you have some prospects I think you still really like and um, guys that were on the fringe of making the team. So I don't. I wonder how much they're willing to. Um, yeah, to, to wait for you know to make some moves too, depending on if they're winning or losing and. Um, again, Nylander scored a goal the first game, so it's hard to fault him. But uh, it just—it's not that consistency you, you want through him, you know, throughout him and probably the whole team right now. My cat just knocked over my microphone, so apologies if there was an audio issue right there for a second. <laughs> um, the perils of working at home. Um, I am uh, known by uh, universally as a Brent Seabrook apologist, apparently. So I'm going to let you take best case scenario on Brent Seabrook this year. I, I think it's that he you don't notice him much, right? Like you, um, I think that pairing has shown that it can help a team. I don't, you know, I if he's not, uh, you know, chasing the play and and him and Mater, you know, obviously not the quickest guys, but if they're playing a reliable defensive game and um, pushing the puck up up the ice and not having to defend and um, you know got not getting caught flat footed. Um, I think that's the key. I think you want that. I think ultimately that pairing is going to be your third one. You know, when you look at um, at least how ice time is going to be divided, and um, I, th- I think the ideal scenario is that you don't have to talk much about that line. You know, maybe it, it contributes offensively occasionally, and Seabrook's got a big shot, and Mott has shown that uh, in the right circumstances he can he can pinch and he, he can get involved in the offense a bit. And um, but I but I think at the end of the year, if, as long as you're not saying that Seabrook's one of the worst defensemen in the league again. Um, and talking too much to the contract, it's got to be a win-win. And um, I think at this point, you just want to be able to sustain him playing um, as as someone who's not going to, uh, you know, that you're going to have to protect, and he's going to be the reason why you lose, you know, throughout the next five years of that contract, if that's the case. So I think the more that you can uh, protect him and then just make that to be a, uh, a solid pairing. And 
Um, you know, so far, I, you know, I, I thought the first game, um, you know, it, it was fine. And certainly preseason was probably one of the better ones just based on some of the numbers. So I think uh, I think that's that's best case is that we're, we're not talking a whole lot about Seabrook. I, I agree with that. I think you're dead on with that. And uh, I think, you know, the Blackhawks have come to accept that he's a third pairing defenseman who makes first pairing money. Who cares? He is what he is. You got what you got. You can't do anything about the contract. Play him in the sheltered role. Put him in there in favorable situations and he'll be fine. The worst case scenario is, you know, other teams are able to exploit that pairing. I mean, I, I wrote a whole story about how their lack of speed is not necessarily uh, something that's going to prohibit them from playing well. But when you're on the road and the other team has the last line change, you put out your, you know, your more skilled lines, your speedier lines against him. They take advantage of him. They start exposing those guys and burning them every now and then. Uh, the Blackhawks continue to put him on the penalty kill, which I don't think is the best role for him. I know he used to be, uh, 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 he's done that his whole career, but you've got enough guys now on that back end that can kill penalties. I think you lean on Murphy, you lean on DeHaan, you lean on Mata, and you take Seabrook a little bit, uh, make him like the third rotation guy on that, and uh, and and he'll be fine. But they do tend to lean on him pretty hard sometimes. Even last year, Colleton fell back on giving him 18 to 20 minutes some nights when things weren't going well. He went to that veteran well. And uh, I think you need to stay away from that. That's the worst case is that they start putting him in a position where he's not the third pairing guy, but where he's the Brent Seabrook of five years ago. I, I think the worst case, you know, if we ask Colleton to be saying where he has to make a decision whether to sit Seabrook or not, uh, you know, it, it didn't get to that last year. You know, I think Quinville sat him once. Um, I think Colleton's made some decisions to sit younger guys. He's yet to make that massive decision yet where you've had to sit a veteran, a guy that's the part of that core. Um, so I'm, I'm curious if he got that, whether whether he'd make that decision or how you, you play it. So um, it's uh, it's something that could be on the horizon, uh, maybe not this season, but you would think uh, potentially in the next five seasons. So um, I think when they get to that point, it's going to be a difficult decision because he's, uh, he's still important member of the team at least within within the dressing room and what he means to um those other veterans and they'd certainly st- they, they stick up for him all the time and um and and i'm sure he's having an influence on those, all those younger guys too and to see how you take it and then i guess also how everyone else would take it if you if it came to that all right i'm gonna be the positive guy for once let's go to uh eric gustafson who is another polarizing figure in the blackhawks uh, twitter community it seems which which kind of baffles me. I know he's a liability in his own end for the most part, but you have one of the most productive, effective offensive defensemen in the league, and you're bitching about him. It's like having Eric Carlson and complaining. I don't understand that. He's not at Carlson's level, but remember for years, everyone complained that, oh, Eric Carlson, he doesn't play defense. Who cares when he's a point-a-game guy? Uh, on, a, on a lesser scale, that's Eric Gustafson. And the best-case scenario is he's what he was last year. If he's a 60-point guy, if he's leading an, an elite power play unit, the best case scenario is you don't know what to do with him come February. We talked about this a little bit in the last podcast, is the Blackhawks are going to have a very difficult decision to make in the spring. Getting that Debrinket contract, and we haven't really touched on that yet, but that Debrinket contract is a lower number than I think you or I were expecting because you went with the bridge deal instead of the longer term deal. Does that free up enough space where it's at all feasible to extend both Gustafson and Dylan Strom and sign a goalie? I don't know, but they're going to have a very difficult decision to make come February if Gustafson is still tearing it up and they're in the playoff race. Do you get rid of your best productive defenseman? That's a good question to have. Yeah, no, for sure. And I, and I wrote in our, our bold predictions that I, I think that they try to find a way to re-sign Gustafson. Whether it's realistic, I'm not sure yet. It's, um, uh, but, but if he has anywhere near he, the season he had last year, it's hard to walk away from that guy. Um, 
I guess it depends on where Boquist is at. Um, but even even mid-season, if the Blackhawks are, I, I guess if they're having success and, and they're near a playoff team or in that hunt, um, and Gustafson is the guy who's doing it for you and producing on the power play, and, and certainly I think he had two points the first game, and um, he certainly helps you in, in so many ways offensively. If he's still doing that and the Blackhawks are good, I, I don't think you can just trade him. And, and even beyond that, like uh, just walking away from a guy who's uh, your top offensive defenseman, it, it would make a difficult decision. So um, on the other side of it, I think worst case is that um, he's on the ice for too many goals against and he's not helping you enough offensively. I mean, ideally, I, I think Gustafson wouldn't be on the top pairing. You'd put him in... Um, you know, in more of a role where you, you can probably lessen his five and five team, five time and give him as much um, power play time as possible. And, um, and maybe that changes as, as they get these guys back defensively and maybe you can switch it up a little bit. But um, I don't think you can have it where last game where he's also, I mean, that line that you, you can't have Keith out there being, you know, exposed to all that too. I mean, Keith's, um, we can argue whether he's a top defenseman anymore, but he's, he's a top defenseman on this team and, and, and on the pairing and, um, uh, Gustafson helps the team offensively, but it can also can affect your defensively. So I, I think that's the worst case too, where that that top pairing doesn't actually play like a top pairing anyway, and uh, it's it's just getting you know um, just on there just for so many shots against, and you know you're really stuck more in the defensive zone than creating anything. All right, let's move on to Adam Boquist, and uh, I'll be ne- I'll be the negative ninny again. Well, uh, kind of kind of piggybacking off the Gustafson situation. My bold prediction was that they do trade Gustafson at the deadline, feeling that Boquist is ready to step into that role, given that they're similar style players. Obviously, you know, Gustafson's older and more experienced, but they're in that similar style. And Boquist, we've seen the spectacular offensive skill he has. I think the worst case scenario is they do trade Gustafson, thinking Boquist is ready. He go, Boquist comes up, the power play completely falls apart without a quarterback anymore. Duncan Keith is back in that role, which doesn't really suit him and it's not played to his strengths. And then all of a sudden, the Blackhawks missed the playoffs because they traded their power play quarterback at the deadline, thinking Adam Boquist was ready. When, from everything we've heard, as as good as he is offensively, he still has a long way to go defensively. I, I do think they're going to give him. I, I think he'll see some NHL games before they make that decision. You, you have those nine games as, as long as. Uh, you know, the, the keep that contract, the, the slide, play him fewer than fewer than ten games. So I, I think at some point we'll see him up there, and he'll he'll get some looks, and uh, maybe Gustafson has to miss some time, and maybe that works out the Blackhawks' advantage where they can give Bokowitz the Bokowitz the look. Um, yeah, but worst case is that he doesn't improve defensively. You know, it's um, there, there's there's a lot of instincts offensively, and and he's moving up in the play and. Um, and I think he's gotten better defensively where, you know, one-on-one he can skate and he's gotten pretty good with the stick. It's just more of, you know, within the zone, it, it's awareness and um, sometimes kind of reading the play defensively. And then also him being so aggressive offensively that everyone else on the ice has to be alert when Bolquist, you know, moves up in the play. And, um, you know, you know I think we saw in the, in the preseason sometimes where they just got exposed that way too, where it, it'd be a two-on-one because Bolquist, uh, you know, Bolquist was so aggressive. So, um, yeah, I, I think the worst case is he doesn't get it. You know, he doesn't develop uh, as quickly as they hope because they they, they have traded Henry Yokiar and one one of the reasons why because they had they felt like Ian Mitchell and Boquist were were ahead of the curve and could be in the you know be in the pros really soon. So, um, you know, Mitchell began the season this past week and he scored a goal last night for Denver. 
Um, you know, a lot of signs are pointing that he's, you know, he's close, and and there's certainly parts of Boko's game that are close. But um, you know, I thought we saw at least Yoki and Yoki Haru and NHL experience, you know, in, in games that he was ready or very close to being ready. So they they it's a bit of a gamble still. So I I, I you know they're they're banking on Boko's and Mitchell both being ready, and um, you know both uh, both still have some developing to do. All right, Blackhawks as a whole, our last best case, worst case. You want best or worst? You pick. Uh, I'll let you go best. Well, the best case scenario is Calvin DeHaan, Connor Murphy come in. They they write the ship defensively. If this team even has a mediocre defense, it's going to make the playoffs. I firmly believe that. That top nine is excellent. The top six, if used properly, if you put Brandon Saad up there, is spectacular. And they're going to score a crap ton of goals this year. I mean, we're, we're getting back to hearing that old Joel Quenville uh, that he used to always say, which was, you know, we don't worry about scoring goals. This team shouldn't have to worry about scoring goals. Patrick Kane's on pace for 246 points. I'm not sure he'll get there, but he's close. Uh, they're going to score a ton of goals. If they, if they can just have an adequate defense with Corey Crawford and Robin Letter in net, there's no excuse for this team not to make the playoffs. And then once you do make the playoffs, hell, you got good goaltending and you can score goals. Who the hell knows what happens? But the best case scenario is this team just gets back into the playoffs because, man, I was talking to Kane in Berlin, uh, and uh, actually, no, I was talking to Andrew Shaw. And he mentioned, he's like, you know, I look around at these guys, and I can tell that the guys that have been here a while, they really have a chip on their shoulder. They're pissed off that they haven't done anything in four years. And you can see it in their eyes, and, 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 and it's going to drive them this year. And that's the best-case scenario is Taves and Kane and Keith and Seabrook and Crawford. They play to their best because they so desperately want to get back to what used to be routine for these guys. I think the worst case is that we see what happened in the opener just repeatedly this year, and there's no progress from last year, despite, uh, you know, Carlton and Bowman both being on the same page on how to improve this team. They uh, they went out and, and got certain guys to, to fill roles, and, you know, we haven't seen all that yet, but, uh, you know, they certainly expect the penalty kill to be better, um, you know, allowed a goal, and, and it wasn't great the other day. You certainly, you know, they want the scoring chances, the high danger chances to, to sway the other way, and that wasn't the case. Um and, uh, you know, I, I think they also feel like they have more balance, uh, balance scoring. And, um, again, it was Kane and, and uh, Debrinkit and the usual suspects, the top line, and, you know, Nylander being new, but also playing on the top line, those guys scoring. So um, I, I think that's the worst case is that it's just the repeat last year and nothing changes and, you know, they miss the playoffs again. But um, it's, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. But uh, that, that first game isn't, isn't what they, they're, they're saying looking for this year again. God, if that, if that worst-case scenario does come true, it becomes a nightmare scenario because you look at the, the way the roster is built. Kane, Taves, Shaw, Carpenter, Dabrinkit, uh, Seabrook, Keith, Dahan, Mata, all these guys are signed for three more years. So it's going to be very difficult to change the trajectory of this franchise if they're winding, they wind up running in place again this year. That's interesting because you mentioned the three years, and I know you asked Stan Bowen about it too, is that the way that Dabrinkit's contract was structured is that his contract hits Kane and Taves is, uh, at that end. And, the, and there are a lot of guys whose contracts sort of expire at that same time. And, um, you know, you're probably you're, you're probably getting close to, uh, you know, depending on Doc and Boquist contracts going to effect. But, you know, those guys will be hitting RFA within, um, you know, within that three-year, three- to four-year range too. And, um, you know, basically everyone except for Seabrook's contract uh, will either, uh, you know, expire or, um, you know, some of those guys will, uh, like I said, those RFAs will start coming up. So, you know, if 
if Bowman and, and Carlton and those guys are still in charge, then they're sort of resetting themselves to kind of figure out what do they want to do financially. But a big part of it was was that to bring a deal and to get them in in at that number. And um, you know, I feel like Stan Bowman's done a pretty good job of getting guys at a pretty good number, um, at least in the recent past. You know, the Seabrook deal and a, a few of them certainly impeded what they were able to do. But when you look back at some of the big ones, I mean, Panarin at six million dollars was a steal and. Um, I would think it's something the Blackhawks are kicking themselves over now because at six million, even if it was for two seasons, that would have that would have been a you know a heck of a get. And uh, and now to bring it at six point four on the bridge, and certainly he's setting himself up for nine plus you know after that. But um, I also think it, it probably dictates Strom's contract a little bit. You you, you can't get more than what the uh, Brinkett's getting, and it probably also sets up Strom for uh, I would think a bridge deal too. I I doubt they. Uh, want to give Strom, you know, seven, eight years, where if they can also give him the bridge and kind of, uh, kind of see where this plays out for the next three years, and then kind of reset and figure out where Doc is and Boquist and, um, and the rest of the organizations at. But um, a big piece was the getting that to bring a deal done. You know, getting it done this early, where you don't have to sweat it out and certainly have to uh, maybe wait until next summer where you're worrying about paying him nine to ten million dollars. This is how the NBA does it. You schedule things two or three years at a time. You set yourself up for all your contracts to come off the books at the same time. And then you go free agent hunting. Nathan McKinnon is going to be a free agent in 2023. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> there you go. So, uh, all right. But, well, um, uh, we have another podcast to do in three days with nothing to happen. So we should probably move on from this. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll put out some questions. I, I, I'd like to talk about some prospects then and, um, you know, I, Hedge and I used to have a Powers Prospects segment. We, we can start that up, and, and certainly people have ideas about it, and we'll have, uh, we'll have uh, mailbags for this and stuff too. So we'll, we'll certainly get the, uh, the listeners more involved. But, uh, um, yeah, it's, it's uh, a work in progress. There's a lot of talking to be had and not a lot of hockey to be played in this week. So, <laughs> Well, thanks to everybody who read all of our stuff while we were in Europe. We, uh, we were pretty proud of what we did, even if not everything uh, – uh, went as viral as we would have liked, but, uh, um, keep up the, keep up reading and subscribe to us. This is the free podcast. So if you're out there and you want all the podcasts, we'll be doing a, a reader, uh, or, excuse me, a listener mailbag on Thursday. If you want to get into that, you got to subscribe to the athletic. Uh, we highly recommend it. There's all kinds of discounts and promos for 40% off. It's a couple of bucks a month and you get, I think it's thousands of stories a month. You get every team in every city, you get, you know, European soccer, you get uh, every hockey writer you've ever heard of for the most part. I mean, it's you can't beat the deal. And you also get Scott and me. And what more could you need? Nothing. <laughs> All right. Well, until Thursday, uh, we'll talk to you then. I'm Mark Lazarus. I'm Scott Powers. This is the Laz and Powers podcast. We'll, we'll, we'll talk to you soon. Won't you let me try?